Welcome back to Following Know It on a Stormlight Podcast. This week is episode 57, and we're doing chapters 3 through 7 of Oathbringer, book 3 of the Stormlight Archive by Brandon Sanderson. We started Oathbringer last week, and you guys said you were excited for Dalinar flashback chapters. We have one this week. We get Kaladin back this week. We get Syl back this week, which we've actually been missing Syl for quite a while. Like she had a, a little bit of dialogue towards the end of Words of Radiance, but ever since about part three of Words of Radiance, we haven't really heard from Syl. So it's I certainly appreciated having her back, and we've got some more down our content to talk about present day and flashback. Paul, how are you feeling? Man, I'm feeling great. Uh, Elliot kind of said it in our previous episode about it's nice to be back in Roshar in our main series, and it really is. This is our first week of like really full chapters of it, and it's it's really nice. I'm excited. Elliot, I I gotta be honest, I I'm a little I'm a little exhausted. I've had a had a rough week, but I've actually been really enjoying having Oathbringer to to kind of escape to, to kind of immerse myself into this world and, and deal with my my life problems later. So it's I've been loving loving the book, loving to get back into it, uh, like you said, Paul. Oh, of course. Awesome. Do you guys have two words to summarize episode 57, these chapters? Uh, we'll go Elliot first. I'm going to stick with my my theme of opposites from last time. My two opposites this time are old and new. Old and new. I think I know where that's headed. Uh, Paul? All right. Well, I almost have some opposites, kind of, if you want to think of it that way. Um, I, okay, one of them will just say, I'll say it in one word so that it is one word. It's a new beginnings. <laughs> and my 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 other word isn't that my, my move squishing words yes to yes it is new beginnings is one of my words and my other word is oxymoron or oxymorons um so yeah i'm glad that we have five words as opposed to three from from last week mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we can use we can use these words to talk about this episode All right, I need to start putting stricter rules on these uh, on these word <laughs> choices. I think, Paul, you you gave me three, but you claimed it's two. You know, back when Elliot gave three words that one time, I tried I tried to argue for him that it, I can't argue. New beginnings is one word. New Paul. beginnings. It's not new one beginnings word. Is a word. I oh, typed. No, I, I wrote it down as one word. So I mean, it's not new beginnings. It's new beginnings. Yeah, new beginnings. I had a. Okay, Which... short short tangent here. I had a physics teacher in high school. His name was, shout out to Mr. Wilson. Uh, he always had the theory that if you understand what the word means, then it's a word. So I understand what 
new beginnings what the definition of that word would be so i guess it's a word done of course of course all right how does it pertain to oathbringer okay so i'm actually going to talk about oxymoron first uh because this one took me a little longer to think of uh, my initial word is going to be lighthearted and then um so i would say thinking of lighthearted and new beginnings we see a lot of stuff happen in this chapter that's kind of like turning over a new leaf or we're seeing things in a different light uh, but kind of in a positive way but i put oxymoron because we see a lot of dark stuff uh we see kaladin getting in fights and we see the blackthorn dalinar and there's a lot of ruthless scenes so i really couldn't justify putting lighthearted because there's a lot of um dangerous stuff going on so i chose oxymoron for that reason because i feel like we have a lot of positive things to look at but it's kind of entangled in in a mess um so there's that and then new beginnings kind of plays into that i feel like yeah kind of the the concept of turning over a new leaf um you know Calden and Silverback. You know, it's kind of just a little more of our our nice little service level fun moment. So, all right, Elliot. So I'm probably being boring again, like I was last uh, episode with some fairly predictable words here, but I just had to go with it because it resonated with with what I kind of got out of these chapters. I <clears throat> I picked old and new, just because we see. A number of comparisons between some old and some new versions of things, if you will. There's, of course, Dalinar. We see the old version of Dalinar who, wow, what a different version of Dalinar that is. We'll, we'll get into it. And then this this one's a little cheeky, perhaps, but we've we've got discussion about Dalinar's old wife. And then, of course, <laughs> we now have Dalinar's new wife. Uh, there's, there's that. And then, of course, Kaladin with... Uh, we're familiar with the old Kaladin and new Kaladin. We've been on that journey with him from old to new, but I really was struck by this encounter with his parents. Spoiler. That's a big moment. We'll get to it in, in a little bit of Kaladin's parents having to reconcile this new who Kaladin is, who I love that kind of processing of he's not only a new person, he's like, three times over a new person since they've seen him last. He's not only been completely changed once, he's been completely changed three times. And so he's so different from the Kaladin that left Hearthstone when he did. And and just, yeah, that was, that was powerful to, to think about. So that was old and new, old and new. Cool. I am excited to talk about Kaladin and his interaction with his parents and We'll get there, but we do have an interesting dynamic here with with young Dalinar with a flashback chapter. <clears throat> I believe it's thirty four years ago is the is the tag for um, Dalinar's flashback. So this is what young twenties Dalinar, maybe twenty exactly. I was yeah, I was trying to guess what age he was because he also refers to like he sees some like 17 or 18 year old and is like oh just barely younger than me yeah so i yeah 20 i think is what i was kind of guessing yep and we have it in our notes here this is 
not the Dalinar that has read the Way of Kings that we've gotten to that we've gotten to know. There are some very interesting details in this chapter, and um, we'll uh, well. I'll hand it over to either one of you, whoever wants to pick it up. But there's some interesting details in this chapter that I'll highlight if you, if you guys don't. I I can start us. This I should have seen this coming. It, this should not have been a surprise. That the fact that we knew Dalinar was was a very different person when he was younger. We we've had characters tell him, you know, "Where's the Blackthorn Dalinar that just charges out and wins the day? Like, why aren't you that person anymore?" We just hadn't actually seen that version of him firsthand, but now that we do, I it was a little shocking for me. I, I shouldn't, I should have been ready for it, but I wasn't. And and to see Dalinar act so ruthlessly and so even just straight up dishonorable in some of the stuff that he does was like, wow, this is not the the Dalinar whose whose journey I've been inspired by or whose you know actions I, I would like to emulate. And so this was, it is a big difference. Paul, any thoughts? You've, you've expressed some disinterest in Dalinar as a character. Does this make you more interested, give you another layer, or is this just more of the same and you're not that interested? No, it definitely is good. Like, it definitely made me more interested. Um, just kind of seeing... I don't know, it's very unpredictable, almost like what is going, like what, what is happening at behavior. I'm mostly referring to when he recruits this bow, bowman at the end of the chapter. I thought it was really bizarre, but like it, it wasn't bizarre in a way that it didn't make sense. But just it gave a light to how young Dalinar functioned. Uh, he was, the guy tried to kill him or kill someone. I think it was, they tried to kill Dalinar, right? Mm -hmm. And then was unsuccessful, and they caught him. And he was like, okay, great. Like, you're a good shot. Like, welcome to the team. And it, it was very interesting. Um, you're right. I had uh, mentioned a little bit of worry about Dalinar as an exciting character throughout this book. Um, and I think the concern of that is more of his just do what's right nature and, and like, the visions are really cool, but a lot of like his interactions with people current day are not that exciting. Okay. Um, so I think that's more of where my concern comes from. Seeing this stuff was super cool and I loved it. So cool. Let me let me give you some history. Uh a little history lesson here, chapter three. This is Gavilar going on his campaigns, or at least sending Dalinar on his campaigns for him. He is trying his best to unite the High Princes. He Gavilar wants to be king. And some of the other Lethi aren't accepting it. Some of the other High Princes. So this battle that we are thrown into here is a Lethi versus a Lethi. And Dalinar is running down and killing along with Sadius, um, which interesting dynamic there. The Sadius Dalinar how good of terms they are on at this point. And then the degrade that we see or that we have seen um, that happens later for them. But uh, yeah, there's an interesting dynamic for those two. And then, yeah, just the, 
there's no war code that he's holding the Alethi to in this chapter or to himself to because the entire the entire way of kings he's getting the impression that he needs to hold up to the Alethi war codes and hold everybody else accountable to the Alethi war codes and now we're beginning to get some more context as to why people aren't giving him the credit that he thinks he deserves because they've seen this Dalinar back young Dalinar who just who used to slaughter them on the field and pillage their towns and the only reason why he doesn't is because he uses it as a bargaining tool for that's that assassin sniper guy with the bow it's like if you join my team I won't pillage your town implying that they would have otherwise so if you think of this chapter within the context of him talking to the other high princes and why nobody took him seriously is because this is who Dalinar used to be when he was young is I'm a warlord. I'm the Blackthorn. This is the Blackthorn gaining his reputation and who everyone figures Dalinar to be. So. And I, I noticed that this version of Dalinar doesn't even need shard plate or a shard blade he's he's that much of just a dominant force on the battlefield that he doesn't even need it it's like man this guy's just a juggernaut yeah he doesn't have plate or blade at this point but but yeah some of the things that he and his soldiers do you know shooting the enemy in the back while they're trying to retreat and you know shooting the the opponent's horse intentionally to to bring him down and there there was a couple oh yeah rounding up you know hostages we'll we'll see how they fight while we you know hold our swords to their their family you know that that kind of stuff that's just like yeah that's you you're you're right trevor and you're 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 bringing you're putting some interesting things into perspective of the 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 people that downar is trying to unite are gonna know him as this person Right, this person who wrecked their towns and slaughtered their people, like that's that's how he gained his fame or notoriety or whatever you want to call that. Any other thoughts on this flashback chapter? That's pretty much what you're supposed to. I think what you're supposed to get from this chapter is just this is a very different Dalinar than what we're used to. Yep. All righty. Chapter four, present day. Uh, we we have a marriage. We have a marriage scene towards the, the second half of this chapter. And uh, Paul, I know, I, I I'm I can't I can't talk about Dalinar and Navani without throwing questions at you. How do you, how do you feel? first of all between for, for a marriage does this help at all does this bother you still what what are your thoughts so, Paul, paul's the ardent like standing <laughs> over in the corner just like <laughs> so i remember whenever i read this chapter I was like, I really hope I'm not even asked anything. <laughs> like, honestly, I was like, I just want to sit back and just let this one slide by. Um, 
it was okay. Like, if you're asking my personal opinion, I didn't like it at all. I didn't enjoy it. Like, I was, and I was like, okay, come on, let's let's get past this. I I I don't care. I don't I don't want to listen to this. Like. And stuff. It was just kind of the like, oh Novani, oh Dalinar, like you know. And I didn't enjoy it at all. Um, sure, cool. You know, I I'm I can't. I I don't think I have a real. I can't tell because I'm pretty biased to just just in general not liking the chapter. Um, that I don't know if I have legs to stand on and be like this chapter's bad because <laughs> I don't know if I can say that. Um, if other people think that, though, I would agree with you. But uh, long story short, I, I don't have any, like, argument points other than I just didn't enjoy it. I, I didn't I didn't like it. All the, like, just description. There's nothing wrong with it. I just don't like it as all. I was like, okay, next chapter, let's go. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I'll, I'll just go out on a limb and say you didn't read this one twice while, while you were doing it. That's a safe bet. I did not read this one <laughs> twice. You're right. <laughs> yeah, you, you um yeah, you're right on the money there, Trevor. I did not read this chapter twice. <laughs> Paul, th- this is why you and I balance each other out really well because you key on, key in on so many things that I don't and then there's chapters like this where I took almost an entire page of notes on this chapter alone. There was, there was so much in here that I was like, oh, that's interesting. And ooh, ooh, but this and oh, like this was probably the most interesting chapter for me of these uh, five that we read for this week, probably by quite a bit. I will give my like little redeeming qualities. So like as far as content or things we may learn, cool, great, awesome. As far as the way it was presented, I was like, okay, come on, like let's do yeah. something else. But um but like I think one thing I am super curious about is Dalinar's old wife and, and why you can't hear that and all that stuff. Um, which I'm gonna just guess that that's some of the things he wrote down. Uh just because it felt like it came up a, a couple times throughout this chapter. Yeah. Um and stuff. But I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. Um I, I, I may not have as much to add, but I'm very curious curious to learn. I, I'll t- I just I'll talk about just one awkward or, or uncomfortable thing and then move on to some actually big predictions that I've that I've got out of this chapter but the one thing that I <clears throat> I did got me thinking a little bit was in in the one scene where where Navani's trying to you know full-on seduce Dalinar he he stops himself and and Navani's kind of frustrated and is like why Dalinar why are you why are you pushing back and Dalinar's response is very interesting actually to me he he talks about control and how it's so important for him that he maintain control of himself, that he maintain that self-discipline regardless of what it is, whether it's on you know the battlefield, whether it's in his politics, whether it's in his love life. He, he has to maintain that control, and he kind of hints at he can't let go of that control or he's going to become something he fears. And coming right out of the, the flashback chapter that we had, it, it seems perhaps very plausible that what he fears is the old version of himself. Perhaps there's going to be a point where Dalinar is able to gain control over his more violent ways, I guess you, if you will, but perhaps the way he achieved that is by, you know, keeping this, this iron grip on his 
actions and and just keeping such a tight control of himself that he doesn't let himself do you know anything like that and so that that level of like self-discipline is interesting i i have to chime in um i see exactly what you're saying i i can agree with that um i just think it's extremely cheesy for this like love scene for him to be like hold on navani (laughs) (laughs) i can't do this or i'm i'm worried because control like i'm just afraid of becoming who i once was like stopping in this scene and like doing that i just can't get over that i think that's incredibly cheesy and stuff like whatever it's in relation to like combat and all this stuff i think it's great and fitting and an excellent point i just think it's really funny here yeah yeah (laughs) I can't. I just can't quite take it seriously. I'm being like, hold on, like I haven't been there since my wife died. <laughs> like it's just really. <laughs> yep. So yeah. Oh man. But yes, you 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 make a great point though. So <laughs> yeah. No, I totally totally get it. I totally, I totally get that. It. it I I said it. You know, it was. It was little little bit of an awkward one but but an interesting one to get in get inside Dalinar's head a little bit however cheesy it is in inside Dalinar's head um yeah Trevor any anything to add there before I talk more about this chapter the only thing I'd add is that it's just in Dalinar's mind if he what sort I'm looking for settles on on one of his morals then what's stopping him from you know caving to everything that he that he wants to do is carnal passions or whatever you want to call that so yeah exactly (laughs) it feels like well it feels like there's like like his it's like he's holding up a huge dam with this huge you know torrent of water behind it he feels like if one one brick is removed the whole thing is going to come you know crashing down Right, and so yeah, yeah. While it while it probably is cheesy for you, Paul, I completely understand that. Dalinar's like, I found an equilibrium, and I know how to how to hold this right here. So I'm gonna I'm not gonna hold anything anywhere else because I know this works for me, and I'm gonna stay right here. So for sure, and that that makes total logical sense. Like for the most part, when I say hey, I don't like it, it's it's like not that deep. So like I hear this and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I need to skip it or something. But like, no, I think it, I think it's kind of funny, especially I'm also listening to the audiobook and just kind of hearing like Michael Kramer, like whisper things in my ears. Like <laughs> it makes it more interesting, you know, I'm like, okay, like let's move on. <laughs> so <laughs> just, just to, I, all right. Quick thought. Uh, what are your thoughts on safe hands? Like as a, as a, trope if you will like he like Dalinar or sorry not Dalinar Brandon Sanderson's been asked about this of why safe hands like what why would you want to do that he's like oh I just think it's weird like and awkward and it's funny to me like you know people like some cultures pick the weirdest things to like to be paranoid and you know uh cover up and so he's like yeah Alethi just cover up their safe hands because they think that's modest what do you 
like and then in this scene navani is like oh stroking his cheek with her safe hand like it's supposed to be like you know super intimate or whatever but <laughs> it like my thoughts in in general i i i mean i could definitely see what brandon sanderson was going for there and and i get that it's kind of like a this world kind of resembles Earth, like their thing, like at least the landscape and how people talk to each other is relatively like, like what we we're used to, humans and Earth and stuff. Um, but there's just like random things he throws in there, and it's just kind of funny. And you could tell safe hand is is that. Um, but yeah, I, I've never thought about it that much. But just you know, it's the point of like, oh, it's something modest, but or like maybe culturally appropriate but it's kind of weird like it's kind of funny when you think about it like it's not a big deal well how we would think about it i agree and it's on a like day-to-day basis with like shalon and and the other women we see it it is kind of funny when there's just like an offhand reference to it and she pulled a glove onto her safe hand like oh haha alithi women cover their safe hand but but then in a scene like this where Trevor, you're right, where it's like, and her safe hand was uncovered. And it's like, okay, now it's just getting weird. <laughs> it's no, no, it's yeah. just weird now. <laughs> so I, we're going way too long on this, but I still want to talk about <laughs> <You are. laughs> I, Whenever I've thought about doing visual, ad, like a visual adaptation of the uh, Storm in the Archive, I always think back to safe hands and how inconvenient that would be to put on screen like that's just gonna be so weird to constantly put on screen is for a safe hand sleeve and i think it back to the lord of the rings special features where billy boyd i think it is he's complaining about hobbits having hairy feet and how they had to put prosthetics on for literally every day for over a year like why did tolkien have to make them have hairy feet like it's it's a similar thing like why why do i like whoever's gonna be the actress for shalon like why do i have to cover my i don't know left hand right i don't remember uh my hand for literally every scene ever like it's just it's funny to me i was thinking about that whoever the actresses are gonna like they're just only gonna get to use one hand the whole time and that's just gonna get annoying after a while (laughs) totally all right moving on from safe hands (laughs) We'll, uh, we'll stop. Yeah. The uh, Dalinar's old wife. I did want to talk about that. Yep. Because that was one of my bigger questions coming out of Words of Radiance was I want to learn more about her and who she was and why Dalinar can't remember her and, and doesn't hear her name when it's spoken, all that kind of stuff. And we know it's related to the old magic and the Night Watcher and all this stuff. We, we learn a little more here, which is helpful. We learn we learned one thing that I think we've kind of learned before is that it seems like other people liked his wife. It seems like Navani liked her and it seems like she was a generally well accepted person, which I don't know if that tells us a whole lot, but it tells us a little bit. We learn in this chapter that he married her for political reasons. We, it sounds like even more specifically, he, he somehow married her for shard plate. Like her family had a, set of shard plate perhaps and he like inherited that because he married her that seems to be the implication here which is which is interesting and, and is there's almost like this dynamic of he married her for purely political reasons but it sounds like he grew to really love her and so yeah that tells us a little bit there's some hints to 
I think it's in this chapter. Yeah, it is in this chapter about a rather unfortunate death is what it sounds like. It sounds like there's some hints to she was like taken captive and used as leverage against Dalinar. Um, yeah, I, I have a little bit of a theory here. If now's the right time, Trevor, go for it. I I'm a little scared here. So in, in words of radiance, we had some pretty dark flashback chapters. We got, we really went to some dark places with Shalon's history. And we talked a lot about that in words of radiance and what Shalon has been through. I'm wondering if Dalinar has been through something equally harrowing, if he has been through or done something, you know, terrible, similar to the way Shalon has done things that are terrible. But in Dalinar's case, he doesn't remember it. And I more specifically, I think I want to chalk this up on the prediction board. I think Dalinar killed his own wife. I think somehow in that exchange, he either makes a decision that directly like he knows is going to result in her being killed or somehow at his own hand, he, he actually kills her. And to, to stretch this even a little further, I think I've maybe kind of guessed this a little bit before. I think he then felt so terrible about that. That like broke him that he went to the night watcher and what he asked for from the night watcher was to forget her. I think that he hasn't been cursed with forgetting his wife. That's what he went and asked for was, I can't live with this. Please remove this from my memory. And so the night watcher does removes all memory of that. And so Dalinar thinks he's like trying to get back good memories of her. When in reality, I think later on we might find that he is eventually going to figure out what happened and it's not going to be pretty. He might learn that what he had forgotten was something he probably wishes he had stayed forgotten. I, that, that's my oddly, probably way too specific prediction for where I think this is going. I'll, I'll ask your thoughts here in a second, Paul, but I just want to chime in here real quick that we have, I don't remember where it is, but we have a specific line. Oh, I remember actually where it is. It's where Dalinar is having visions in front of Renarin and Renarin asks, Hey, does this have anything to do with the night watcher? Cause I know you've been there. And Dalinar says very, very briefly, very strictly. No, I know what my boon is. I know what my curse is. It's not the night watcher for, for the visions. Right. So if he doesn't remember his wife, would that mean he knows what that boon and curse is? And is that mutually exclusive? Is it not? That's just my, that's my two cents there. Uh, go ahead, Paul, if you have something. I think, I think Elliot, by the way, I think that was an incredible like theory. And if not to that exactly something very serious or very, very similar is like, seriously a possibility and i think that's really cool and like at least for story progression that would be like really really emotional i was trying to think of a way how we can even top potentially shalon's flashback chapters because they're very emotion packed and very like sorrowful um it really 
it helped my view of Shalon so much throughout the books um, that I think trying to match that with Dalinar is definitely a challenge, but that's a great way to do it. Um, my thoughts, I guess, with what Trevor was saying is, I see your point. I don't know if that fully rules it out because, like, he didn't say what they are, I guess. Right. But he could know that he has memories erased and that he... Unsure, but, like... He could still know that he did that and that there was a reason, but doesn't remember why or what or things like the, that, but it doesn't necessarily cancel it out yet. Right. The The other potentially compounding factor here is if that was a, a known fact amongst our other characters that Dalinar killed his own wife, I, I think they'd react a little differently to the conversations that we've seen, you know, Adolin and Renarin would obviously not react the way they do when they talk about, you know, their mother or, or Navani would probably not talk lovingly about her. So if, if my theory is correct, it would, I think it would have to be some version of like Dalinar did this in a way that no one else no, knew what happened. Like Dalinar was the only one that knew that he had either by his own hand or indirectly killed his wife. So there, there's some hurdles for it, but I'm, I'm writing yeah. it down. It still could be something along the lines of like Kaladin and, and his brother, Tien, I'm blanking on the name. A yes, Tien, um, where like it happens and like the whole story is like, Oh no, I'm going with you so that this doesn't happen. And it still happens. Mm -hmm. And it's just really sad and stuff. Um, almost kind of like the way he can't forgive himself for Gavilar's death. Yes. Even though he kind of does in Words of Radiance, at least a little bit of like knowing, even if I was there and I was sober and fully ready, like I couldn't have done anything. Um, but that's probably not the case with his wife's death. We'll just see. But no, I, I like the train that you're thinking on there um, with all of that. So moving on a little bit from that, I this doesn't really quite tie into what we were talking about there, but just a, an interesting note in this chapter. I actually wanted to read uh, a quote because I thought it was really thought-provoking, actually. It's it's more related to the the marriage scene. I think it's right before the marriage, perhaps. I don't remember exactly. Dalinar's speaking to the Stormfather, and he's talking about oaths. And I think this has got to be after the marriage. And he, he's, they're talking about oaths. And he, Dalinar says, I'm, I'm surprised that you agreed to perform the ceremony. And the Stormfather's like, well, yeah, I respect all oaths. And Dalinar responds with an interesting one. He's like, well, what about foolish oaths? What about, you know, people that make, you know, stupid promises or, or oaths they can't keep? And, and the Stormfather responds with this. He says, there are no foolish oaths. All are the mark of men and true spren over beasts and subspren, the mark of intelligence, free will, and choice. And I, I keyed in on that just because, I mean, the name of the book is Oathbringer, so I'm I'm looking for you know instances of let's dive deeper into what do these oaths mean and this seems like an interesting one there of the stormfather as a spren puts a lot of weight on oaths and he's he's 
pointing that out as this is what makes you different from a beast is that you can make an oath that you can make a promise and you can keep it. And that's a, that's an interesting thought if you think about it, because that, that is something that would, you know, mark you as like a higher intelligence, if you will, uh, an animal doesn't, you know, make a promise specifically and then keep it, but a, a human can. And so that's, that's important. The other thing I noted in that little word, in that little quote there is we've got a new term there, subspring. What is, what is that? He differentiates between men and beasts. And then he also compares that to true spring and subspring. So now we have like categories of spren. I mean, I'm not surprised by this. It seems like we're, we're starting to discover there's different types of spren. But here we, here we have very specifically two different categories of spren. Um, not sure how important this is for later, but I'm definitely going to mark it down. Yeah. No, that, I, I didn't catch that, and so I'm glad you brought it up. It does seem, at least in my mind, it seems kind of straightforward that it's like, especially with the comparison he's making, that there's spren, like Silfrena and Pattern and uh, Wendell that we've seen that are like intelligent and, and make someone into a Knight's Radiant. And then there yep. are the spren that are probably our sub-spren, like Water Spren or... Uh, those that just kind of attract to things of nature and yeah. things of uh, emotion and stuff like that. Um, so that's what I'm getting at there. But yeah, that's something I didn't catch on to, though. And it's interesting to, to think of there being kind of two categories there. Just a kind of a side note, in the next chapter, chapter five, still talks about gloom spren and how they're rare for some reason. And some and we've we've kind of had allusions to this in the past as well, where some people who are studying spren are trying to provoke a certain type of spren and they have to really work for it, and then some spren like wind spren are just everywhere. And you know, fear spren and stuff like that. So and in that same section too, Syl talks about how her aunt, who apparently <laughs> spread have aunts, 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 <laughs> who and how her aunt hunts gloom spread. Yeah, and it, that, that gets you thinking too. Like, wait, are gloom spread like more the beasts of the the spread world? I, I I would hope her aunt's not off hunting other people. You know, equivalent spread that that. Is she a bounty hunter? Like, or, or is this more, I, I think she directly compares it to like a chasm fiend, you know, the way you hunt chasm fiends. So yeah, maybe that, maybe a gloom spren is more of a sub spren, like a beast is compared to a human sort of thing. That's the novella we need. We need Sill's aunt bounty hunting <laughs> other spren. Give me that novella, Brandon Sanderson. <laughs> Intense. Um, Real quick, you mentioned the name of the book, Oathbringer. Up until this point, we have The Way of Kings, which was written by Noadon. And we have Words of Radiance, which was written by some unknown ardent, speaking of the Knights Radiant. Chapter one of this book, what is our epigraph? Elliot, do you have it in front of you? I do. Sort of. I have it if you don't. Yeah, go ahead. It'll take me a couple seconds to flip to it. So our epigraph for chapter one is, 
I'm certain some will feel threatened by this record. Some few may feel liberated. Most will simply feel that it should not exist. From Oathbringer. Preface. So we have it confirmed in chapter one that Oathbringer is a book and is the Shardblade named after the book? Is the book named after the Shardblade? Who wrote Oathbringer? Who knows? Maybe it's a complete coincidence and they're not even related at all. It's also possible. I instantly thought of this, Trevor, though. I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, because we've had this notion of like, okay, we know the Shardblade's called Oathbringer. I've seen our books be named after some real world thing or in world thing. Real world. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm really immersed right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I saw those excerpts like from Oathbringer and I was like, okay, so I'm assuming that this is an in, in world book. And I, I assumed that, that our shard blade is named after it. Um, I feel like the other way around wouldn't make as much sense. I feel like, Dalinar probably took some inspiration, or maybe where he got his shard blade from, um, got inspiration from it. Dalinar has showed great interest in the Way of Kings, but I'm sure he couldn't call his book or his sword the Way of Kings. So, <laughs> that's true. Um, um, yeah, but it it was kind of cool to see that. Um, hopefully that I feel like that's not a major thing, but I'm I am really curious, probably more so than our other books of like. How did how did this name come about? Um. Same. I'm I'm hoping we'll get that maybe in in the flashback chapters. Maybe those will build up to like the moment where he earns his shard blade and names it, or who knows? That could be exciting. So I really want to get to Kaladin, but I do have two more quick things. They're not quick, actually. We're going to be here for a few more minutes <laughs> on, on Dalinar here in this chapter. The first is to kind of end this chapter. Dalinar has a discussion with the the ardent that they have witnessed the the, the marriage Kadash. ceremony. Yeah, K- Kadash. And they, they talk about how the ardents frown upon this union. This is an act of heresy. How dare you do this? Blah, blah, blah. The more interesting half of that for me was the fact that Dalinar knows this guy. They have a history together. It sounds like all the way back to, you know, a long time back to the Black Blackthorn days of of Dalinar's life, and they they seem to be talking around some sort of event, something that happened. Yep. And Kadash is is specifically alluding to this, you know, saying, you know, I. Basically, kind of boiling down to, I can't trust you, Dalinar, because I know what you're capable of, and really hinting at something again dark, something perhaps I I, I don't even know what I'm I'm, I'm assuming we're going to find out eventually, but ominous that that the two of them like don't even want to think about that day, whatever that day was, right? I'm glad you keyed into that. I was going to mention that if you didn't, because. That's kind of how the the chapter ends was Cash is like, I was with you on that day. So I don't know what you're talking about with your your pious wedding here. So Yep. So some some stuff to dread or look forward to, depending on how you look at it. I'm sure we'll 
hopefully figure that out. What whatever this is, this dark thing in in Dalinar's past, find out in the future as we re- keep on reading. The last thing I want to talk about Dalinar is another big theory. I'm I'm, I'm going to throw two big theories out here. This can be our my my theories I I, I put out for the beginning of of Oathbringer. Really, uh, you ready? You ready for this one, guys? I am. Of course. Okay. So I'm going to read a couple sections here. One from this book and one actually from from Words of Radiance because I've found two things that I think might be related. And the first one is in this book. It's actually not in these chapters. It's in chapter one in the vision that Dalinar has where he sees Odium and he sees Odium's champion that we talked about uh, last week. Odium is described as this bright light. Let me read it. A golden light, brilliant yet terrible, standing before it a dark figure in black shard plate. And that was the, the light and dark that I kind of talked about last time. But he, he specifically mentions that there's a, a heat coming off of this light or a warmth. I'm trying to find it, and now I'm not seeing it. There it is. It was brilliant and golden, but terrible, Dalinar whispered. It bathed everything in its heat. Let me take you back to the end of Words of Radiance. At the end of Words of Radiance, when we talked about this in one of our episodes towards the, the very end there, Dalinar has, has a vision uh, when they're in Urethiru. And he it, it's a very different vision than ones he's used to having. He He usually sees like the end of the world or different points in the history of the Knights Radiant, things like that. Well, in this one, he sees his childhood and he sees uh, Gavilar and himself as as children. And we talked about how this didn't seem like it was coming from the same place as his other visions. And let me let me read a little bit of that vision. So he's this is Dalinar in his childhood vision. He stepped to the balcony doors and pushed them open. Warm light bathed him, a deep, enveloping, piercing warmth, a warmth that soaked down deep through his skin into his very self. He stared at that light and was not blinded. The source was distant, but he knew it, knew it well. And I may be, again, focusing in on something a little too specific, but those those two descriptions of blinding light and warmth and heat kind of described together seem similar to me. And so I wonder if that that vision that we saw at the end of Words of Radiance came not from Honor, who, or the Almighty, who seems to be the source of his other visions, but instead came from Odium. And in this vision where Downar sees Odium and he is this light and this warmth, maybe that is imagery or or feeling senses that downer gets when he's around odium i'll take it even further i think that kind of going running with that let, let's say that perhaps now odium is sending down our visions as well i think odium may try to like convert dalinar i think that let, let's say that vision of his childhood which seemed like a really positive thing it seemed like a very non-threatening, non-evil type of thing. 
I wonder if Odium is going to try and like work against Honor in trying to influence Dalinar in his decisions. I wonder if we're going to get a little bit of this tug of war between Odium trying to pull Dalinar one way and Honor or the Stormfather trying to pull Dalinar in in the other way. So that was a very long explanation for my, my new theory I'm running with of I think that Odium is directly reaching out to Dalinar at this point and is going to try and seduce him, perhaps, for lack of a better term, try to convert him over to his side. I don't know if this backs up your theory or not, but I'll. this is tangential to what you're saying. Later on in that chapter in Words of Radiance, Dalinar asks the Stormfather, it's like, yo, what was up with that vision this morning? I... I had never seen it before. And what is, do you remember what the Stormfather says, Elliot? Yeah, it's something along the lines of like, what vision? Or that wasn't me. Or yeah, something directly along those lines. Yep. He's like, I didn't send you a vision. There was no vision. There's no high storm this morning. Why would I give you a vision? So. Exactly. Messy. <laughs> too, is this getting too confusing for you, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> No, it's it's not. It makes sense. I was just saying that's like definitely something I didn't think of, but I sounds pretty. I guess I guess I'll wait and and see. <laughs> uh, again, I I feel like I'm being way too specific and and oddly you know detailed with my my predictions, but I I I think I'm guessing I'm predicting. I think that's where this story might go. All right. Anything more for our two Dalinar chapters, which we've talked about for over 45 minutes. <laughs> Time for Kaladin. All right. We have three Kaladin chapters here. The first two are kind of in fast forward mode. They're not, they're nothing too, you know, groundbreaking here. Everything's kind of in chapter seven of what we're going to be talking about here. But Sill and Kaladin are back. They're having it's kind of their intro chapter, chapter five. They have some banter back and forth as they're going to Hearthstone, and uh, Kaladin's realizing the um the damage that the Everstorm has done as he's approaching Hearthstone, and when he gets there, he is told that the Parchman did transform into their new forms. And then they left. So they didn't... He, he was fearing that Hearthstone would just be a war scene when he got there of Alethi versus Voidbringers and everybody fighting each other. And the scene that he gets to, they are in dire straits, but that's because the only time the only times they, were, they fought the Voidbringers was when they confronted them as they tried to leave. And, and that's when they fought them. But they didn't they didn't outright like start hunting them like he thought they might. So the Voidbringer or the Parchman did transform into Stormform, we're assuming, and then walked away. So what are your guys' thoughts on this before we get into Kaladin and his parents? I'm I'm intrigued. I'm uh, along with Kaladin, I I feel like I'm questioning their motives, perhaps. I, you know, we've seen the destructive power they can wield 
in storm form, but it doesn't seem like they at least initially just wanted to rampage. So maybe they're, they're like being called to, you know, unite with the rest of their brethren, or there's a, a much bigger objective that they have that they're, they, they immediately know they have to head towards. Yeah. I'm wondering what their motive is. Yeah, I, I'm I'm under the assumption that they have to be. Like there's no other reason for them to just leave, especially turning storm form. Um so my assumption is wherever this like this Everstorm is really like there there's more than just it turns Parshendi into Storm Form Parshman. Um I said that wrong. It's more than just them turning into to storm form. There's like a calling or yeah. something, a, a regrouping, and so I assume they're all going to unite forces and then attack all together. Is is my guess? Um, I assume that's just. It almost seemed understood, so I don't really see another way that could work out. Okay. Kaladin walks into the the manor. The bright lord's manner and he punches rashon in the face finally and his words his words that he chooses at the end of chapter six are very very interesting he doesn't his motive here is not what i would have thought on a as a first time reader when i read this i was like wait really that's why he punches him he punches in the rashon in the face and he says that was for my friend Moash. He is no longer seeking revenge on Rashon for Tien, who he originally harbored so much, uh, so much hate for. He's now fighting for Moash and his parents, who Rashon's cap- as uh, guilty for the the death of uh, Moash's parents. But Moash and Kaladin are not on good terms at the moment. And Kaladin, as he walks in here, he still calls him, this is for my friend Moash. So there's actually a lot of weight like for both Kaladin and Kaladin's relationship with Moash in that one line of where Kaladin's mind is right now of, I still think that Moash is my friend and he's just misguided here. And he's let go of Tien's death fairly fairly well at this point of I'm more worried about Moash and his family than I am about Tien and my family. I, I completely agree. I completely agree. I was caught off guard by that too. And I had to stop and think about that. And I, I thought of the same thing you did, Trevor. He uses the word friend here. That, that was surprising to me. The fact that in Kaladin's head, Moash is still equal to friend. And so, yeah, the fact that Moash tried to kill him has apparently not been enough to move Moash over into not even like, you know, acquaintance. He's still friend. Like, I'm going to I'm going to punch you, Rashon, in the face because I'm you know standing up for my friend Moash. Like, whoa. 
Yeah, I guess I didn't think very deep into this. It was really nice to see him punch Rashon. <laughs> um, I I will say it, it was it was one of those things that kind of felt overdue, and we were kind of just getting a little bit of uh, justice there. Um, but yeah, I my 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 guess why or my understanding why was I know Kaladin's whole deal when talking to Moesh was like, hey, like don't get back at these people. Let's get the people who like actually are responsible for bringing you and your family a lot of, a lot of hurt. Um, and so I feel like this was kind of just his moment to do that, which, which is straightforward. But even though, even though he has had problems with Rashon, he knows he's not the only one. And so, you know, It's also just kind of a little movie moment, right? A little yep. oh, absolutely. Tells from my friend Mo- Moash, you know? Yeah. So then, after this little scene, Kaladin turns to his parents. And, Elliot, you mentioned this earlier in the episode, and we'll, we'll talk about it here, that at, Kaladin's emotions here are very interesting. Where as he's talking to to Liren and and his mother, he has a very distinct thought of they have no idea who I am. Like I know who they are, or at least I think I do. And I not only am I a new person, I'm I'm a new person. I, I'm a soldier. The soldier died. I'm a bridgeman. The bridgeman died. Now I'm a captain. The captain died, and now I'm a knight's radiant. Like he is he is so far removed from where he left at hearthstone he's like where do i begin with reuniting with my parents here so uh if you wanted to talk a little bit more about that go ahead elliot but and it exactly what you described and yet there's that touching moment where despite all of that kaladin still has that moment where he just like holds the tools for his father while he's performing surgery like that moment where he just for a few minutes returns to being a kid again, watching his father and learning with his father and just listening and being like with his family. Like, well, that was, that was touching. That was heartwarming. Just that, that moment of kind of innocence, even though Kaladin has seen so much, he is, he is so different of a person. He's been through so much. He can still for a moment, just kind of, go back and connect with his father over their shared passion for helping people. It was, uh, it was a powerful moment. Yeah, definitely. And that's, that's exactly why kind of circling around to one of my words, which was oxymoron. And it, it was this, like, there was lots of just touching things, lots of kind of heartwarming things, but they were never presented in like, a, Oh, that's so sweet. Like it was always so, Kaladin punching someone in the face or <laughs> um I, I don't know all this stuff like that and so so it was interesting but like it was a gruff way of showing it but like what's actually happening is is kind of a, a nice like sentiment almost um we get a we get a couple more interactions here Laurel is here I don't know if you guys remember who Laurel is but Laurel is Kaladin's childhood crush, sweet girl, girlfriend, crush. Yeah, like they, 
they were they grew up together they were always you know intended for each other if you will and then uh Rashon's moves to town his son gets betrothed to Laurel pretty quick his son dies and Laurel ends up marrying Rashon himself so there's some awkward vibes here to be to 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 say the least and then uh Oradin is is introduced Kaladin has a little brother not Tien rest in peace uh <laughs> he has a second little brother uh because I don't know Laurel and or sorry Liren and what's what's his mom's name Hasina Hasina thank you they no. they decided to you know start another family since Kaladin and Tien weren't there anymore so they like yeah we, we got we had another son so Kaladin has a little brother coming out of this episode there's a couple more things but what were you guys' thoughts on uh Laurel being here and then uh Oridin Oridin whenever he's introduced like it was definitely the reason that I wanted to put like newcomings or or what did I say? New beginnings. New beginnings. New, be- New beginnings. Um, it's mostly for that because Kaladin is so so upset with Tien dying, his younger brother, and this is a very different relationship, right? Like this is a like a very young child, yeah. Um, that he won't grow up with like he did Tien, um, but definitely like a younger brother, he's gonna get to I'm sure take care of and, and protect and and love, and so um, it was very sentimental and sweet there. Yeah, I agree. That was a, a a touching moment, and another bit to just kind of give Kaladin another reason to want to protect these people. It's not only are they his hometown, not only is that his job as a windrunner to protect them, but his mother and father are there, and his brand new baby brother are there. So, I, I imagine that's going to become um another motivation for. Kaladin or, or another influence on him of now he has to consider his his family in all of his decisions and equations. So there's a there's a chapter coming up pretty quick here, but I want to bring it up now anyway. There's a very interesting argument here where at the end of the chapter, Kaladin says, Hey, come with me and I'll bring you I'll bring you three to safety. Like as soon as he sees Origin, he's like, Okay, we're we're going we're going to your Thiru. I'm flying you right now. We're, I'm going to keep you safe. And Liren makes a very specific argument as to why not. Do either of you remember this? Well, his rationale is basically, if everything you say is true, if the desolation is coming, if war is upon us, these people are going to need me more than they ever have. You know, right. I'm... I'm the only one here who can save so many of them. I can't leave them in their moment of greatest need, basically. Right. And this is going to, this is a a minor spoiler, but this is going to brew in Kaladin's head of irresponsibility for Oridin, for, from Liren that in Kaladin's, from Kaladin's point of view, Kaladin thinks that it is Liren's, responsibility above all else to protect Oridin, and the fact that he's wants to stay in hearthstone to 
be that doctor in the field, uh, like you completely understand what Liren, like what Liren's saying. Like they don't need me in Urethiru. Why would I go to Urethiru? They need me here. But Kaladin views it as you have a baby. I need to protect you three and keep you three safe because you're my family. So there's a there's an interesting dynamic between the two of them. Of Kaladin's all about, you know, keeping the people you love safe, and Liren's well. The way you do that is being here with them. If you can't keep them safe, you stay here and and be what they need. So, we're we're going a little long, but I did want to mention one thing in in this last chapter, chapter seven, Syl and Kaladin have a, a, an interesting conversation. And I got to say, Trevor, I think you, you may have opened with this, but I didn't realize how much I was missing Syl until Syl showed up again. Yeah. And it was like, oh yeah, Syl. I love Syl. Syl's awesome. That was, it was cool to get some, some Syl moments back as we've, we've coined them. But Kaladin and Syl talk about weapons so kaladin like is apologizing for you know swinging her into things and she's like well you do it to us all the time and he has like a moment of no i don't i just use regular weapons oh wait everything has a spren i have been doing that and i i just thought that was funny you know we, we've we joked before about everything having a spren and, and kaladin's having another moment of oh Everything does have a spren. Um, but but then Syl's response to that even further actually is rather interesting and, and maybe hints at at some of the, the lore behind Spren a little bit. She she goes on a, about the fact that Spren have genders and she's like, Oh, well, you feel sorry for, you know, throw whacking a, a female into something and Kaladin's like yeah she's she says oh well yeah about half the weapons you've ever wielded were female <laughs> <laughs> right logically of course but then she she mentions she says this it's your fault for personifying us so no complaining of course some of the old sprint have four genders instead of two because humans didn't imagine those ones silly it's kind of an offhanded little banter there, but I kind of pause. I'm like, ooh, wait a second. That's actually interesting. Some Spren have four genders instead of two. And the reason why is because humans didn't imagine them. The implication there being that some other type of being did imagine them, perhaps those beings having had four genders. So that... That that one sentence hints at so much. Yeah. First off, apparently there are perhaps beings that have four genders. Apparently there's Spren that have four genders. Those beings perhaps imagined Spren, and that's what created them. And perhaps the Spren that only have two genders were imagined by... Am I breaking your brain, Paul? I'm sorry. I... <laughs> I, I stopped too, on this too late while I was for Paul. No, it's it's not breaking. I'm just like wow. Like <laughs> I remember, I remember hearing the four gender comment. And I was like, oh, cool. 
and that was it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it, it could mean so much more. Like, is that how Spren coming to existence is the imagination of a human or like, are they constantly being created that way? Or is this like the origin of Spren was somehow at some pivotal point, human imaginations created the realm of Spren and all of a sudden everything had a, an imaginative version of itself, which was its Spren and Shadesmar. We we've kind of postulated and guessed about that in the past, but, but this has some interesting implications of that discussion all, all packed in that one little, like, you know, joke almost that still just kind of throws at Kaladin. Yeah. That was, that was dense. The, if you remember way back to our Ardens, I don't know why we keep referring to this, this specific interlude about our two Ardens talking about flame spread, but yeah, one of them goes in the other room and the other Ardent writes down, okay, this, this spread is, you know, 2.75 inches long or whatever. And so from that point on, that ardent thinks of that spren as 2.75 inches long. And so that's what it is. So the rules here are very strange for spren of that's that, that's how you perceived it. So that's what it was. Indeed. And I don't honestly know if I want to learn more about what it means to have four different genders, but who knows? Maybe that'll come into the story at some point. Yeah, my biggest question is you have a really good point of like someone would have had to have the concept of these four genders, right? If, for a little sprint theory here of like sprint or what you think them to be, like whatever you see them as or think them as or etc. is basically what they are. Um, And so, yeah, like are we going to learn more about that? Is that actually an important... Uh, so we... we with our main series books here, we could usually be like, oh, this little detail, let's write that down and we'll come back to it. But I'm honestly unsure if this is something... I mean, I'll definitely remember this. If anything comes up with with like uh, an old being that had four genders or something like that, um, that I will remember. But like, I don't know. It seems low on the priority list, but it is really, <laughs> really what, neat. That's low on your, and, what do you mean? <laughs> that's low on your priority yeah, list? Yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah. High on the priority list is is what? Um, Seth. Always Seth. Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> I was trying to think of something funny, but I couldn't think of anything on the fly. Ish on my priority list. All the, like shard options like shard forks and shard bowls and you know stuff like that um ishik that's a name we haven't heard in a little while also axes now mm. curious to see if he will play a larger part mr crumbling man mr crumbling man of course any closing thoughts on chapter or on episode 57 chapters three through seven here we there's a lot in here there's some we didn't talk about but i don't know if we have the time for it we can touch on it later in future episodes yeah i think we hit all the the major points i i agree that there was there was a lot packed in these chapters i feel like we may be referencing back to some of these things we're we're seeing early on so i'm sure we'll we'll talk about it more later 
sure. And I'm excited to see. We've we've really like put a ton of pins in, in these chapters um, and things to look out for. And I'm really curious to see how it all plays out and how um, much of this becomes like fun fun things that we found early, or some of them may just never never really go anywhere. All right. The only way we can find out if it goes somewhere is to read more. So it's for you to tell us. Let's well, go. That, well, I guess that is one way. <laughs> so one of the only ways that we can find out is to read more, which we'll go with that option. Sorry, Paul. Uh, we can read further and reconvene next week for episode fifty-eight. Thanks for joining me, Elliot and Paul. Farewell. You're welcome. <laughs>